This talk is on the archetypes for the seventh chakra, Sahasrara, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about each of these archetypes. You guys have an introduction already to them from the previous recordings in the in this module, and we'll just dive, we'll build on that uh, understanding and dive a little deeper into how the qualities you've learned about manifest uh, as or work through each person with these archetypes. So the two for this one are the guru and the egotist. And um, which one do you want to start with? Let's start with uh, the guru. Great. Okay. So the guru archetype um, is all about the embodiment of spiritual energy uh, in a human being. And as that energy makes its way into the human being, and the human has, uh, you know, created a sufficient container to hold it and feels called to be in the service of humanity as a teacher of some sort, um, an expert, if you will, on spirituality uh, through direct experience, through study, through wisdom. Uh, then this person uh, comes into this teacher role, and it's a, the role of being a teacher of humanity from the perspective of being surrendered to the divine and in service to the divine and in service to humanity so it's sort of like a um, a vessel of divine energy um, and dissemination of that divine energy and wisdom yeah yep uh, this energy is working through the person and the person has a relationship to themselves and a sense of commitment and responsibility to their community and a sense of, um, I think one of the things that distinguishes this is a surrender to a higher power and a need, like a deep need inside, a calling to be of service. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we've gone through and balanced the other archetypes or we've become aware of them and we have had time and practice um, get to the place in our journey where, you know, we're we're taking into consideration everything we learned about like the servant archetype and the martyr archetype and all of these things. And so once you get to this guru archetype, the idea is, you know, you've, you've already balanced those things. And so you're coming to your place of service from a place of humility and wanting to be of service and also like knowing how important it is to have your own relationship and have your own self filled. And so you're just in this really balanced place offering yourself and, this could come through many different modalities. You know, it could come as a teacher who teaches through, you know, art or music or words or movement, whatever the case is, but offering what it is of the divine embodiment that they've come to know uh, as a form of service to their community. Mm -hmm. So um, this is obviously the positive one, the positive, in quotation marks, ar archetype for this chakra. Um, and I think it's important to note that you see a lot of people, or I see, maybe maybe you don't, I see a lot of people trying to emanate this archetype, Yeah. you know? Well, you see the word even used a lot to describe um, gurus of facets of culture or society that usually ancient gurus, ancient wisdom keepers were sort of helping students to transcend or move beyond right right yeah yeah totally so even the yeah the, the word use has definitely been a little appropriated or shifted um in terms of the cultural context in the west um 
I definitely agree with that. And so, you know, just to touch on, on this a second, because it's, it's important, I think, we see a lot of, you know, we want to be experts, right, when we're, when we're anything. And in our area of work, we're, there's a lot of yoga teachers, there's spirituality, there's helpers, there's healers, there's energy workers, blah, 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 like whatever somebody calls themselves, the list goes on. And in that, um, so much of that work is divinely inspired. You know, it's different than academic study, though academic study uh, to some degree is helpful to lay a foundation when you want to learn these things. Um, but so much of it is a divinely inspired, I hesitate to use the word gift, but it's born of something that's divinely inspired in those healing realms, you know, musicians and artists and helpers of the sort. So a lot of people see or experience uh, that guru type energy from someone they admire and then in their own area of work want to emulate that which is totally understandable it's like the you know the quote-unquote highest archetype to aspire to right because you're balanced and you're in the service of humanity living this divine gift uh, connection that's coming through you but if we try to emulate that maybe too early or i guess even if we're having if we're trying to emulate it perhaps in essence yeah, it's there's a big one it's not really necessarily uh, rooted but you see a lot of that like you know and, and this like I, I always i'm scared to put into words anything that could sound like judgmental because i you know we talked about in the fifth chakra the words thing they carry for a long time so i don't mean this with judgment but in our particular group a grouping of uh, professionals that are around in that community you see so much like very very young people sort of like disseminating very woke wisdom right or woke sounding words without having the lived experience right that does happen quite a lot yeah um so just like i've definitely done that yeah yeah, I think uh, I think most people have and that are in the helping professions. And so it's not like tearing anybody apart or, or judging. It's just wanting to be in that place of expert wisdom uh, can create sometimes trouble for the person who's wanting to be in that place of expert wisdom uh, because the more people begin to view you that way and the higher a pedestal you get placed on, et cetera, uh, the more people are drawn to and working with you and your energy, then the more you have to become in relationship to power, in your own relationship to um, dynamics and, and all these different things that happen. So I, I'm just kind of bringing it up because, and I, I shouldn't even say it's just like for younger people because this I've seen this all across the board. Um, I guess maybe newness on a journey like someone has a very powerful experience and rightfully so they want to share it or talk about it or teach about it and rushing out to do that before it's been digested and integrated um, can create some problems and it makes I think what I'm seeing a lot of in our culture is it makes everybody feel like if they don't know it all and they're not a guru and they're not already at this place then they're not worthy or they can't get started so sort of the irony in that is for a lot of people it takes making that 
sort of early mistake to get to the point of having um, consciousness around that aspect. And that's not a bad thing to maybe want to be seen as a guru really early in the, in the journey because then once you you know start to work through that or with that with a teacher or with a you know community you start to notice oh I see myself doing that thing oh you might feel a little embarrassed you might have a little bit of shame around it and you know you'll feel that work through it learn not to judge yourself for it and, and move on and you see it in other people um, you just can see it as a sort of a Learning early curve. Sign, a learning curve. <laughs> yeah. You see it. And, you know. It's like it's, a rite of passage. <laughs> it is. Everybody goes through it. Not everybody, but a lot of people go through it. It seems like the, the roadblock to it is wanting to be seen as a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the people who I could classify as gurus, they don't really care if they are seen as a guru or not. It's something someone calls them, not some something that they want people to call them. Mm-hmm. Totally. I agree with that. So helpful to check in with that feeling for people on the spiritual path and people in the healing professions. Like, you know, because we probably wouldn't be human if we didn't get it. Like, how do I want people to see me? And um, just like working with that instead of pushing away from it and and being with it. Um, It's difficult to articulate because it's a sense. It's a a feeling. Um, And I think a lot of times with this particular archetype, when it's embodied in the healthy way, um, you know, it takes some time to get there. Usually, sometimes you see people at a young age who embody this, but um, usually it takes some time. And I think a lot of this has to do with power. Um, I've had a few teachers who, you know, male teachers who were very... um, you know, they were, they've been on the path for a long time in their late fifties. And, um, you know, like we're, we're, I was apprenticing, if you want to call it that, or studying under them for a period of time and had a close relationship and definitely saw them with the guru energy and many other people did too. And I think that this, uh, this sort of holding somebody high up on a pedestal can cause them to fall because they're human. And, um, also because sometimes when, people see you in this way uh you can start in my experience with with some of these people the rules didn't apply to them yeah and the rules of just being a normal human didn't apply to them and in two cases um one that was really a a really deep teacher-student relationship was really hurtful He, he like went in to try to make out with me this one day after we'd been out like literally on sacred land learning things and um it was like one of the most devastating moments because, um, you know, this, this, this place where I felt really safe was no longer safe. And I could tell, uh, you know, and I addressed it with him after the, the, he just didn't, you know, all the young women want to make out with me. What do you mean? Well, there was like a confusion around it. That must've been really hard to go through. Cause I mean, did it question your belief in everything you had just learned? A hundred percent because like this was someone who, you know, was very respected a community member in Sedona, um, you know, lived there for many, many, many years, was considered a wisdom keeper and um, elder in the community. And 
when I had gone out there and met him, he had told me, you know, all these things that he saw in me and wanted to mentor me and have me study with him. And I had, I had made many trips out there to stay with him at his house. I, I trusted, I think because of the age difference. Um, you I think that they wouldn't be predatory in that way? Yeah, that was, that. Would, I mean, because if someone who was like, you know, 10 years older than me or something had made that suggestion, I think I would have been like, eh, I don't know, like, let me, like, what's this about for you? Like, I would have questioned it more. Is that sort of an abuse of the teacher position? Like, you, someone's going to see you in that position of the, the guru teacher, and with that projection, they assume that perhaps your moral character is higher than it actually is. Totally. I mean, I, I can't I can't say for certain what it was for him, but yeah. I think that that um, that makes sense. I mean, I, you never know. Like me, but it did to your question of did it make me question everything I'd learned so far? Totally, because I was like, oh, was this whole thing? Because I mean, this was like, I feel like it was like two years into into studying with him and I mean I, I went there a lot I had weekly long calls about like the process I was going through and the things I was learning and like it was pretty devastating and and I was I wondered like was this whole thing just about wanting to get me you know to this position of like vulnerability where you could then like make this move like did you really see anything in me or was this yeah. just all about like wanting the end game of like physical intimacy and, um, yeah, it was really painful. So, and, and who knows, maybe on his end, you know, that wasn't the end game. And then, you know, over time the relationship developed, there was closeness and maybe it started to shift for him. But I came to find out later that he has had, you know, he's had a number of experiences where he takes on like, you know, young women who do have these qualities of, um, connection to spirit, et cetera, and, and are interested in this type of work and then ends up entering into sexual relationships with them. Well, isn't that the sort of guru experience across the board that you see? I mean, look at them, Bikram and all these others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is that. So that's like, it's important to talk about with this archetype because we're using guru as the, um, the uh, positive archetype here and and i think and that's the way that it's it's meant from a, the perspectives we've been studying the archetypes in but you know just this dynamic with power like even as i'm talking about it now it's like i'm like rubbing my forehead and i feel like uncomfortable in my body because it just what it did for me was it turned me away from spirit and that work and and like luckily i found other teachers who um for a period of time, I only would work with women. Yeah. Uh, after that, a good period of time, actually, um, and then I worked with uh, our other teacher who, is, who passed away. Um, I guess like a year and a half ago now, and he was a man. But that was the first man that I worked with again after the incident before. And the trouble is, like, I can see how it happens because, like, in the instance with this teacher, like. I didn't reciprocate that advance because I was in a committed relationship at the time. And the teacher knew that. The teacher was very well aware all about my partner. And, um, but I could see how like seductive it is to think that like this really powerful person who all these people look up to in this super spiritual community, like, like, let's say I had reciprocated, right? That would have been technically a consensual thing. And there's a huge power imbalance there. Yeah, it's like sort of. And like, 
I mean, I don't know what it's like to be a woman, obviously. I don't know what it's like to be in that position, but I would assume that if you're a teacher and you're making it advance, like a very much younger, impressionable person might somehow logically think that, oh, this must be okay because I trust him with so much insight that... Mm, Well, yes, that. And you create a genuinely intimate, deep relationship when you're doing this sort of work with someone. Like you, when you're doing spiritual deep dive and you're learning all these things, you're vulnerable, you're expressing these layers of yourself that you don't always express to just anybody and you're trusting this person to to take you on this journey and so like at the very least in those situations I think it's the responsibility of the teacher like because sometimes you know I'm not trying to say that in all teacher-student relationships they can never evolve romantically I'm not saying that Um, because that can happen and that can be a positive thing for people if they're like if that's the case two people find themselves in like a discussion about it and a redefining of the roles and a moving from the the teacher-student relationship to a different relationship yeah but in this example none of that happened no none of that happened but i just wanted to be clear you know for anyone who's listening to this that might have because this happens when you're you know community with people sometimes roles shift right and like teachers become friends with students or date students and i'm not trying to say that it's always uh, a bad thing no of course yeah uh, of course not. It's just it seems like this was an absolute um, taking advantage of that closeness. It's taking okay. closeness and intimacy and crossing over into um, a different kind romance. Yeah, because closeness and intimacy aren't the same thing as romance. Right, right, right. And so for this talk, I think the reason I wanted to bring it up is because for a lot of people and a lot of women in particular. Um, you know, we found ourselves in situations like this and it's complicated and, and we, or we might have found ourselves in situations where someone we we know or glorify as the guru or put in, in this sort of place um, or, or we hear the stories in the yoga community the last five years have like rocked it in terms of how many of the um, male yoga teachers who are really kind of established in that community were you know, like the fathers, or if you want to call them that, of these lineages were engaging in like abuse. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just important to put this that out there with this talk and this archetype because when somebody is embodying this role of a teacher that people come to for guidance and on the spiritual journey and etc., uh, it's good to look out for that and it can go both directions so women absolutely be on the lookout men absolutely also be on the lookout totally can go both directions yeah yeah. it's it's rarely kind of talked about or highlighted um the other way um but yeah go both directions and that probably has to do a lot with the fact that typically like we talked about or I talked about in one of my other talks in this module, typically it is the male that in our culture and in patriarchal culture that gets elevated in the eyes of the community to that guru status. It's very yeah. rarely the woman. And there's more women seekers out there mm-hmm. from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least in the communities in, in the West that we're involved in. There's When we have a group, there's yeah. always like, you know, for every 10 women, one man. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's about the ratio. Yeah. 
Yeah. One brave, brave man. Yep. <laughs> um, so just to put that out there, um, you know, this guru archetype, it's when it's actually legit, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that is the archetype that is truly in service of humanity um, at the feet of the divine. They have surrendered to the divine and the the inspiration inside is service to humanity, which is different than, you know, inspiration inside being money or attracting uh, people who were romantically interested in status. Yeah. Yeah. All these things. So they're different flavors and with so many people, um, you know, kind of stepping into these communities where more and more people are feeling, I think a legitimate call from spirit to rise into this, this, spiritual path and archetype for themselves then they become leaders in communities and make money and things get complicated not that there's anything wrong with money but you just you want you can sense when the motivation is um coming from the place of service to the divine i think that's the distinction that i'm really really trying to draw here is um the, the power that can happen when you're working with a teacher that you trust and has the right intentions where you surrender to that relationship um, when they've done their work and they're gone on their journey and they're connecting to the divine, it's really beautiful. And because that relationship between teacher and student requires an element of surrender for anything to really transform, um, it's just, it's good to, to uh, be aware of the various ways that this can manifest and to work with people who um, you feel safe and comfortable with because the surrender is an important element of transformation yeah and oh sorry go ahead oh, yeah so maybe um to round this out we go into the egotist so people know what to look out for um mm -hmm. how to notice the, the shadow element of this because i think you did a really good job of highlighting the positive um while also um you know, giving voice to some of the things to look out for but Let's really go into this egotist um, side of the coin and um, see what that's all about. Mm -hmm. So this is really characterized by this chakra being uh, closed down to the influence of the divine. This chakra is uh, symbolized by a thousand petal lotus that opens and receives divine light down the main energy channel of the body. So if you think of that flower, I just like to think of it like instead of making the egotist bad, I try to think of it as like the petals on that flower are just closed in, kind of like making a little hat over the head. So the, the, the flower hasn't blossomed opened yet. Mm -hmm. And it still has the potential to do that. Because I think sometimes, again, when we look at the shadow sides, it's like, like even that teacher I was just talking about, like he is a very connected human. Like there's no question you wouldn't be able to get to where he was without that. But I don't think that flower has opened all the way. But I think it has the potential to right like it's it can in everyone i think in every human there's this this potential for that that flower to open yeah so in the sense of the egotist i'm, I'm thinking of it as closed over the top of the head cutting off that that channel a little bit is it possible to have it open sometimes to get information and then closing it other times and saying totally. all this information just came from me oh well um i mean it's hard when you ask me questions like that because I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, I, from what I've read and learned and studied over the years, yes. These, these uh, like we've been talking about in the course, 
each chakra is a room and then the door opens to yeah. the room uh, if we build up enough energy in the body for it to open. So I would say yes to that. I'm just, I always hesitate to say yes or no because it's like, oh, I don't know for sure. Because from being around a lot of these types of folks, um, it seems one of, like it's one of those and scenarios where they can t- tap into this divine energy, this divine inspiration, um, divine wisdom. Um, however, I've also seen people who have access, who also sort of embody this egotist archetype. And I wonder if it's like you can study, you know, do the do work on yourself, get this information, insight. But when you're maybe when you're in teaching, you don't credit the source. You don't credit divine. You don't. You you want people to know that it all comes from you. Mm. You have all mm-hmm. the answers. Mm-hmm. So when I'm hearing you say this, what I'm synthesizing, and this is just like, this is just my perspective on it. I would think that what you're talking about is an individual who can tap in to the field of all that is that we talked mm-hmm. about in the last chakra, the third eye, um, and use that information that's available to each human of the field and Mm. extract wisdom from the field and then kind of make themselves into that like sort of not actual guru but seemingly guru archetype um whereas i think if the divine channel is open then that's actually when you have like a synthesis of beautiful energy that's coming in that's divinely driven and that is um, genuine and real. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of how I see that. Like because someone could have a very active, open third eye and be totally, you know, able to draw from the field and pull things through, mm. but not anchored in the service of humanity through connection to divine. Mm. And there's a lot of, and that's like the teacher I was talking about. I think that was kind of his jam. Like he was very connected in the third eye, saw all the things, could pull through all kinds of knowledge. And the seduction of that is what makes you feel like someone must be connected to the divine. But, Interesting. But in my perspective, just because you are psychic, just because you can see things, that doesn't mean that your moral compass and your connection to service and all that is in alignment with what what you want, what we would typically envision as the qualities of love, hope, faith, peace, divinity. It doesn't mean they're in alignment with that. So I would make those two things separate Mm -hmm. and say that many people who are very connected, uh, how are you going to use that energy that you're connected to? Because just, just as many people can connect to it in a way that's positive as negative. There's somebody's got an open third eye for whatever reason, or they're embodied in their third eye for whatever reason. There are many ways that that could go. Mm -hmm. So what what would you say is, the most stark difference between the guru archetype and the egotist archetype? Just sort of as simply as you can. As simply as I can, the egotist doesn't typically even acknowledge a divine source. Mm -hmm. And and that's not the same thing as saying someone who's like, I think they call it agnostic, agnostic, where you're just like, I don't know, like I don't really have a set of beliefs per se. Um... It's different than that. It's more like I am the center of the universe and I am the only thing that exists. Mm-hmm. And I come, I go, it is what it is. And I have, and all of this knowledge that I have, it's very cold. It's mm-hmm. cold compared to warm. 
it's not in service it's selfish it, it's solely self-oriented solely self-oriented yeah because again we've talked a lot in our other courses how selfish can be important part of the journey learning to it, be with yourself and it absolutely is it's just typically um how we teach there's the self who can be selfish but there's also this bigger collective um, ingredient mm-hmm. that sounds like the ecotist doesn't necessarily acknowledge yeah and certainly um, would think that they're the recipient of all the things. They would have this belief that like, like say there's someone with a super open third eye and could tap into all the things, but it's, it's because they're super special, not mm. because the divine, right? So there's this aspect with the guru archetype when it's healthy that is like a servant, a healthy servant, not the, not the archetype of the third chakra that we talked about, but uh, a servant of the lord god's great mystery whatever you call it i'm a servant of that i am a servant of my fellow man woman child everyone on this earth versus i am god Uh, i am god or i am i am bigger than or more important than other people so sometimes you see this and i i don't want to like i guess i rag on our, our spiritual professionals enough that i can kind of make jest of other professions but I don't mean this in general but sometimes you see this sort of thing you know in inflated places where it's like somebody makes an amazing medical discovery like a medical doctor and like you know that inspiration probably came from the divine right or you know from the field of all that is but then it can be like I discovered and or like in technology where the rate of producing um new technologies has is faster than the consciousness that's creating them and we have a sneak peek into that fact that it is um i'll say potentially divinely inspired because a lot of times inventions that come up that change the world are discovered around the same time by different people around the world oh yeah there's um elizabeth gilbert's book i think it's called big magic talks about that how Mm. like these ideas are simultaneously inspiration simultaneously downloaded into multiple people at the same time and if you don't act on it like somebody else does Mm. and she gives some interesting examples of that and other people do too like there's this impulse wave that goes throughout the collective consciousness and people tap into that impulse who are tuned into it yeah so so a good example would be like um like i know that so many people listening to this like well whatever your view on vaccines are like let's just use an example and like let's not um let's not think about yeah whether they're good or bad because we have our opinions on that too but let's just use this example so in the past there have been i can't remember what it is um Maybe it was polio. Maybe it was measles, mumps. I can't remember. But one of the vaccines that was developed a long time ago um, was made available in the service of humanity. Polio. And and it was it was just made available. Yeah. Versus, so so whoever got that downloaded and and I forget the the person's name, um, and and created this, was like, okay, this is something that humanity needs to have. So mm-hmm. here it is. Versus. In this time of coronavirus, blah, 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 developing vaccines. I doubt very much so that whomever comes up with that is going to be like, in the service of humanity, because we need it, here it is. And again, let's imagine that it's a helpful thing. I'm not saying it is. Of course not. People are already gambling on the speculation that some company is going to come up with it. Right. So (laughs) that's the difference. Yes. In this archetype is is the service to humanity element is an important aspect. So what do I do with 
the inspiration I receive. And and again, this isn't saying like like in our age and especially in the Western culture, like you have to make money to live, and that's the form of energy exchange. So it's not bad to make money for your efforts. But there's a difference between how we do that when we're in the egotist or how we do that when we're in the guru. It's one is balanced and healthy, one is all about me, me, more, and I. Like these apps that are coming out, like I I feel like uh, this they're so centric on exploiting people like exploiting like what apps are you talking about um like everything that's mostly created as entertainment but then is really about like collecting data so uh, like basically almost all apps yeah or they're under the they create this illusion of being a helpful tool and to a degree they are but that's not actually the intent. That's not why it was created. Yeah. It's created to harvest your data and sell your data. So this that's why is it's free. So exactly. So to me, this is a good example of the um, actually egotist kind of way of doing things. It's like exploiting and using and um, making it like one thing is one way, but actually it's another way mm-hmm. just to further yourself. Yeah to further your own agenda and not really caring about the consequences. Like I think about karma in this one, like most of the people I think listening to this already in this, in this class know like my perspective on karma being like it's vast and nuanced, but it's not like an eye for an eye kind of thing. It's like, it's a concept about learning. It's a concept about, um, transcending your patterns. Yeah. Transcending your patterns. That's a really nice way to put it. Getting to know your patterns, like embodying your patterns and then ultimately like moving into new patterns. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's like karma with this one. There, there's a consciousness and an awareness with the guru that sees the interconnectedness of all things, all beings, and wants to help alleviate karmic bonds where patterns are no longer serving the growth and evolution of, of the, the individual or the whole to help to help shift that and then like the egotist is like just running around like not caring about their own karma and certainly not caring about humanity's karma so it seems like the egotist doesn't have a lens for the bigger picture outside of itself exactly and doesn't see itself as an instrument to that bigger picture or a part of it at all or a part of it at all yeah i think that's the the, the main difference so you know um you hear i i don't like using this word much because everybody uses it now and it's like the amount of clinical narcissists that exist is a small percentage of the population, but like every sensitive, empathic person I talked to is like, oh yeah, I had like a narcissist best friend or a narcissist par- partner. Or Matt- everyone's trying to pathologize someone as a narcissist. Yeah, when they're just doing some selfish things. You that know? might be narcissistic, but... They're not an actual <laughs> clinical narcissist. Yeah. I hear it like so often. Matt Kahn, I think, did a video, or no, he didn't do a video, but in one of the retreat scientists, he's like, they can't all be narcissists, you guys. No. But anyway, sometimes you hear that word associated with this archetype, a narcissist. Um, so I, would, I wouldn't call a narcissist necessarily, but like someone who might be prone to those. You can just think of narcissistic behavior because um, if you find yourself in that, someone's in that archetype, it doesn't mean they're a narcissist and they're going to stay there forever. But when we act with that sort of behavior and those sort of impulses, then we might be occupying that spectrum of mm-hmm. the archetype. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like with all of the archetypes, we oscillate 
throughout our lives, back and forth, back and forth, mm-hmm. back and forth. This one, though, I think more than any of the others, um, yeah, we still oscillate, but we might not oscillate from narcissist to guru, you know, like swinging back and forth. I think it's well, more like you're playing in the shallow pools of either water or you're really on opposite spectrums. And in the world we live in, it kind of takes a lot for people to even accept um, what it takes to be in the guru energy, which is there is a divine other that can inspire, enliven, and gift information and wisdom to a human being. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people out there who don't even believe such things are possible. Yeah, yeah. In in yoga, there's this concept, um, Ishvara Pranidhana, and it's a, uh, it means essentially, uh, it's it's about surrendering to to that which is larger, surrendering to the divine. And I think that's an essential ingredient to get to this embodied teacher divine archetype. Is you have to acknowledge and surrender your life the work of your life, the service of your life to being a child at the lap of the divine, just asking, what would you have me do today? Which means one would have to sacrifice control and the notion of certainty, absolute certainty. Absolutely. You can't you can't hold the two. It's very difficult to hold the two. I have not been able to do that. Uh, me either. Yeah. If I'm in control, I'm not surrendered, that's yeah. for sure. I, I can oscillate between the two, oh, yeah. but I can't be both at the same time. No. Um, so surrendering. And, and so what does that look like really briefly here? It looks to me like, you know, surrendering is, it's like, okay, coronavirus is such a good example. Like it's on the outside, it's horrible, right? It's this, it's this virus, it's killing people, it's... Um, you know, it's made it so... Our, shut down the world. The world is shut down. The economy is going to take a lot to recover. People have lost their businesses, their jobs. We're struggling um, financially. There's 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 a lot that's happened that's really hard. Um, and if one was to surrender to this idea, my teachers put it, the virus is in charge right now if one was to surrender to that idea right it's just noticing your body if it's like the virus is in charge you go oh no right you're fighting it fighting it fighting it if one's able to surrender to the truth of what's happening which is whatever your beliefs on this virus are it's in charge right now and if you were to surrender to that then whatever the path that was meant to come out of it that could potentially lead to something beautiful would be able to unfold or it's it'll unfold no matter what but you'd be able to be in a place of consciousness during the aspects of it that we normally define as suffering. So you would loosen your grip on this like certainty around the outcome. Yeah. Or even like the, in the moment, like here we are in Canada, like not having, not all of our stuff's in California. We don't know where we're going to go. We're in this limbo with your immigration. Like, mm-hmm. you can't go get a job. Like, we, we we just had this talk with my brother about, like, how are we going to get our car, like, legal, legal here? Because there's all this, like, crazy stuff when you have to bring a car from the U.S. to Canada. Just there's all this stuff, like, that is uncertain and scary. And it's, like... Out of our control. Out of our control. Here we are. Yeah. And the blessing in it all, oh my God, there have been so many blessings that are wrapped up in difficulties. How about the fact that, you know, 
we under one roof we have two brothers here father mm -hmm. we get to have a dog in the house like that in and of itself is pretty amazing we have Hidebo, our new adopted brother who just walked by actually yeah. it's funny <laughs> so it's you know and and not just that but like the growth for our relationship like mm -hmm. living in my father's house having to confront all of my unfinished business with like my the parental stuff inside of me There's not being as busy having to go to our in-person jobs from california is this really focusing on our dynamic as a married couple so much just stuff. uh and if we can just remember i'll speak for myself if i can remember to just be with what is and not try too hard to predict the outcome fix something immediately and just work with what's up so much um there's so much more fluidity mm -hmm. so much more creative energy um, there's so much more divine inspiration even mm -hmm. so much more space and that's the thing with the surrendering to the divine is like in the moment as we were like fleeing america i like literally I, fleeing i certainly didn't see and by the way we made it like within hours of them not at all going to be allowed to let us through yep. and we um our overnight stop was a camp spot on emigrant lake the only place that we could find only place classic yeah so all that to say there's been a lot of like moments of like my body tensing i feel like i need to be in control but the truth is like i know we were meant to move to canada i know we wouldn't have done it for a long time because we were yep. comfortable where we were i know so many things so if i surrender into what coronavirus is trying to teach me where it's trying to lead me i can see coronavirus as an act of the divine in some way or another even though it's difficult there's something that great spirit is trying to etch out or or bring up for me or teach me and when i'm in the place of surrender i'm looking for that meaning mm -hmm. and then i'm looking for being able to extract the meaning once i've integrated it into a way to be of service to humanity mm -hmm. and sometimes i can hold that and do that and other times i'm having a temper tantrum about all the things that are going wrong and how well, hard it is <laughs> yeah and for me that's a reminder of um just paying attention to what's in front of you right now I know for me, if I get on the news or spend too much time on there, I feel this 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 urge to want to um, know absolutely what's going on, see if I can do something to change the outcome, and kind of distracts me from just like you said, being in the moment, mm -hmm. being fluid. And that reminds me when you said that about the previous chakra when we talked about the intuitive and the intellect, the egotist is like similar to the intellect that place of like i the, the intellect is like i have to know it's all it's looking for answers i have to know i have to know i have to know and then the egotist is like i already know mm -hmm. i know mm -hmm. i already know nothing to learn here i am already the best of the best most informed blah 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 and i was just reminded of that when you're saying like when we go on the news and we're just getting fed this like certainty it's like like yeah. to me the news media is like if you want to look at who embodies the egotist right now, it's like mainstream news media all around is like whatever side it's on. I know, and this is the way, and this is what it is. Yeah. And it's devoid of any helpful... These are the facts on the ground. It's <laughs> like, but are they though? And that's something that happens to the egotist is like, they're not willing to hear the other side. Yeah. My side, my way or the highway. So 
I, I hope that this back and forth of kind of discussing the various aspects of these two proves to be helpful somewhat. This one for me, it, you know, it's the most difficult one to talk about only because um, I don't feel like I'm fully in either of those archetypes. Like I don't feel like I'm in the guru archetype fully and I don't feel like I've ever felt fully in the egotist archetype. So they're less familiar to me than the other six mm -hmm. because I've felt myself kind of oscillate between all of the the 12 that came before. Mm -hmm. um, this one, I have moments where I'm in that service to humanity and surrender. Definitely I have moments, but um, something to work towards for, yeah. for many, many years. Yeah. Anything, anything else for you? No. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this one and you can put any questions below. All right.